That's right, there's a reason I'm feeling so high today. Welcome back, it's me again, it's Martin Donnan with Range Anxiety. 30 years of automotive tuning experience in just on 30 minutes, just on about three or four times a week. And today's been a good day, and I'm feeling pretty high today because it's a Sunday session. The only bad thing about Sunday normally is Monday. Yeah, that's right, it's always a bit of a drag having to go back to work, but Sorry, boys. I still love yous all. Um, but today we went out and did something fun. Well, kind of fun. Uh, there was a bit of a sneaky motive to it for me. How unusual. But I went out with the family, the extended family, for a morning tea slash brunchy thing up in the beautiful Barossa Valley which uh, even those my American listeners would know all about the Barossa Valley, I would hope, particularly if they're into wine. It's one of the most famous wine-making regions in the world, and one of the finest wineries in the world is up there. This is a free plug for a business known as Lambert Estate. They're sort of hidden around towards Angerston, but they make an amazing product. They do fantastic lunches, and the reason that I'm kissing ass so hard, well, I'll make clear to you a little bit later. But anyway, I went out with um, uh, my wife, Lisa's sisters, and their respective uh, husbands and partners and whatever. There's a couple of them. There's Andy, who has been on uh, an Epicast previously at Roll Racing 2. And there's um, Spiro. Yeah. Uh, Spiro's an interesting cat. He's a little bit like me, where he's short, uh, doesn't have a lot of hair. He's into cars. Um, we actually call him Vin Pretzel because he drives around in a new Dodge Challenger 19 or 20 model. Pretty cool, pretty cool car. I'm not going to bag the Dodge because I actually quite like them. But when I was driving along today, I, I, I didn't take the slot car. I took a real car, real man's car, a V8 car. In fact, I took my wife's car, um, the Edition 507 6.2 litre Benz V8. And we sort of went in, you know, we drove up through the hills up the famous Gorge Road in Adelaide and we went across through Williamstown and into Lindock, and anyway, a long story. Those of you that know the roads will know. Those of you that don't, don't have to know. But interestingly enough, I get I got to spend a bit of time in front of the Dodge and a bit of time behind the Dodge. And it, the more I looked at it, the more it struck me that it's just a totally, totally massive car for a two-door car. And sure enough, when we pulled up, uh, we were having our, our brunch, our Devonshire tea or whatever it was. Yeah, that's right. I was there for other reasons, and again, we'll get to those in a minute. Um, I pulled up alongside the Dodge. We weren't gonna park out in some dirty old gum tree infested car park with shit all over the ground. No, 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 no. And this wasn't at Lambert Estate, by the way. Their car park is beautiful. Um, no, so we just sort of, um, blocked everyone off and parked right in the sort of the estate, um, I forget what it was called, Barossa Estate or something, we parked right in front of their doors and, you know, what better than a cool AMG and a cool Dodge Challenger lifted the tone of the place. The fact that we're all probably the youngest people in the place by 30 years uh, didn't help. Uh, they probably weren't that impressed by cars to tell you the truth. Well, anyway, I got to pull up alongside Spiro and, yeah, as I looked at it, this thing would be about twice the size. The Dodge Challenger would be about twice the size of, of the C63 Coupe. A tiny, tiny, tiny little car on 18-inch, you know, it's little forged 18-inch wheels, and this thing's got big monster 20s on it. 
they, the Americans tend to do that a lot with their cars. Like the Mustang, that's a that's a massive car as well. The Camaro, 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 whatever you want to call it, that's a massive car. Um, uh, the Challenger's a massive car. They're all bloody huge cars. And you wonder, they're very, uh, very different. They're supersized. They're very different from a European car. Um, and I actually call all these big American cars Fred Flintstone cars. I have for years. Um, started with the 300C for me many, many years back when I basically got sacked from Unique Cars magazine for writing the truth. Uh, well, what my definition of the truth that I thought the first gen 300C was an absolute sack of shit um, made by kids. <clears throat> and it was. I, you know, history proved me right. We can't buy them in Australia anymore, so Chrysler, please don't get too upset with me. Um, but yeah, it, you know, it was, it was these things. And listen to that. There goes a four-cylinder motorbike past it. Big noise. Um, they're really, really big cars, and they're Fred Flintstone cars, because every time I look at them, I look at the big sort of oblong um, dash clusters and big funny binnacles and all of this huge door handles and high waistlines and small glass areas. It's really, really quite bizarre, and it reminds me of when Barney, was it Barney or Fred, when Fred pulls up at the, at the rib joint and they put the dinosaur ribs on the side of his, you know, Flintstones were on it tips over at the start of the Flintstones. If you're not old enough to remember the Flintstones, well, stiff shit, look it up on YouTube. Um, get a life, Flintstones is life. But yeah, so everything's real big and massive in them, but when you drive them, this is the mark. The mark, I'm not saying they're all good cars, and I'm not saying they're all bad cars, but the mark of a good car, to me, is the bigger it is, doesn't matter the size of it, it feels small. Good cars feel small. That's right. Cars that drive properly, handle properly, steer properly, not necessarily go. Go's not a lot to do with it. It's all about steering and suspension and chassis tune that makes big cars feel small. The master of that, you know, well, 10 years ago anyway, was the R35 GDR. You jumped in that thing and, you thought, you know, you'd be swinging around 1,800 kilograms of poorly balanced, you know, Tofu, no, no, no. They always felt really small, sharp in the steering, turned in directly, nose, you know, nose only washed out when you actually started to drive them properly. But normal driving through the hills and whatever, they felt they felt like a tiny car, which is the opposite of my edition 507. That is a tiny car, but it feels like a big car to drive. Why? Because the chassis in them's not very good. In fact, I scratch my head and I go back through time and all the cars I've ever driven. I don't think, well, in my opinion, I don't think Mercedes has ever made a car that handles. Well, not not to my liking. I mean, every every dipshit like what do we call them? Pick a head journo gets in one, turns a traction off, and goes, "Whoa, look at it slide!" You know, Whoa, this thing handles grouse. Brilliant. Come on, boys, let's go and have a free lunch and talk about drifting but when it comes down to lap times they always get spanked pretty much by the competitive bmw of the same milk because bmw kind of uh, made a car that points in and turns corners so yeah it was really funny spiro's dodge feels small and is big my amg um is small and feels big did i get that right i think i might have messed that up but yeah all because the steering's disjointed and just doesn't feel so good in the bends. The chassis is quite nicely balanced, but the rear end's twitchy. Uh, the front will transition from grip to no grip very quickly. Um, as Ed and Senna said, it sort of 
um, and well, I probably shouldn't bring it up, so it was his last race weekend, uh, but as he said at Imola, the car just does, it wants to go from understeer to oversteer to understeer to oversteer throughout in no particular phase of the corner. And that's just what C63s do. In fact, I remember we took a W205 back in the day, twin turbo four liter. We took one to the Mount Alma Mile and it was driven by an exceptionally talented race driver. Um, you know, the guy was gifted at pretty much, he's one of those guys that was gifted at everything that he did, the prince we used to call him. And it was actually slower up there, up a pretty straight hill climb with only a few corners in it than my near standard Toyota 86 at the time. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it was fast, you know, and it made good power on the rollers, but you try and turn a corner and your stability kicking in, this going on and lights flashing and engine lights coming on and uh, but not even the Prince with his next level skills gifted to him by God himself could even make the thing go fast. So yeah, Mercedes struggle. Um, you know, like they're four-wheel drive system in the AMG uh, 845. The original ones weren't that good. You know, you put them on a dyno and it just burnt it instantly. Stuff like that, you know. So I'm sure they'll get there. Or maybe that's not what they're trying to do. They're not trying to impress some dipshit making podcasts in Adelaide. They just get on with the business of, well, I suppose they have made a car that handled, haven't they? It's won quite a few world championships. Whoops, stuck your foot in it there, didn't you, Donna? Yeah, anyway, back to it. So uh, coming to record this, Epicast, I jump in the Model 3, and I wasn't even thinking about, you know, evil handling cars. Oh, there goes a Rexy. You hear that? that that's the sound of unreliability. Brrr, head gasket. Boom. Um, yeah, so I jump in the in the 3 uh, to go out and record this Epicast. I'm sitting up at Ashton in Adelaide Hills at the moment in a apple shed factory, and that's where you can hear, like, Sunday drivers being wankers in modified cars trying to go, and motorbikes particularly, going fast out the front uh, past us. So anyway, I jump in the three, and all of a sudden, it just feels like a tiny car. It's huge. Threes are, are bloody big. They're as big as, uh, you know, GM passenger cars were, like our Commodore 10 years ago was, you know, uh, this size. But it feels small, and it feels connected. The steering wheel's the right thickness. The seating position's correct. You turn the wheel in sports steering mode, bang, it's planted. Its center of gravity is low. And I thought, if you were to put a blindfold on, this is what you would expect. Like a, you know, like a six-year-old or seven-year-old, it is like expensive performance car to drive. But no, they didn't get that one particularly right. So yeah, I'm all thrilled, and uh, you know, we are going up to. Collingrove, I got entered in the March 14 event in the end. Them, I told you the people at the Mitsubishi GSR Evo Club, I told you they were good people. And sure enough, they got back to me and they said, Martin, we would love to have you along. Please enter our event. It's just an oversight that, you know, came up saying EVs aren't welcome. It was just, you know, like a uh, network, like a website thing. So please come along. Um, I said, oh, beauty, do I need to do all of the safety bullshit if I want to run it and come and try? So the GSR Evo Club being nice, you know, involved people at the hour, got onto the uh, CAMS Motorsport Director for the event, and they said, yes. Even come and try needs a battery triangle and it needs a fire extinguisher. Fat lot of good, a one kilo, you know, two pound fire extinguisher is going to do. And where do you put the battery triangle? Which battery you're talking about? There's about 680 of them in the car. Well, the car's blue, so maybe it can be the battery triangle. But I think we'll use our brains here because cams don't have any directive on this yet. The whole EV thing's very, very new. To everyone still, I think 
will port the uh, the battery triangle where the first responders loop is, so that if I am in an accident, well, hopefully we're not, um, yeah, they'll be able to just cut the wire and disable the car. Or maybe one of my competitors can come up and just cut the wire in the pits and disable the car. Wouldn't that be fun? Not. So, please, don't. Stay away. I have sentry mode on. I'll be filming your asses. So, why was I up the Barossa? Well, it did have something to do with the Tesla. You see, because I did some rough calcs. I live... Uh, this car, driven normally, has got about... The Model 3 SR Plus has got about 360... The 400k so range driving normally around town so to do 400k's between charges now i live 125 to 130k's you know 180 miles from the racetrack and a lot of it's open road and high speed so my consumption will increase so i reckon if i leave home don't leave home without it uh, a battery charger that is if i leave home at a hundred percent I'm going to get to the race meeting with about 68% or 65%, maybe. I haven't done the the rough the, the fine calcs on it yet. So I'm going to get there with about, say, 70%. I'm going to thrash it all day, get it down to about uh, 60% or 55%, and then I'm going to use 25% driving home. So I'm probably going to end up with, and then drive to work the next day. I'll probably roll into work with 20% left, right, after doing all those miles in competition. Maybe a bit skinny, right? I, I, and I don't like the way that, even though the SR Plus isn't bad at it, these cars can tend to wind the power down as the charge state gets low, you know, just like your iPhone does. <clears throat> I don't want to experience any of that. I want full power. So I got the wonderful Lisa Dyna and I got her on the Tesla website and I said, find where the closest charger is to Collingrove Hill Climb in Angerston. Sure enough, Tesla do a good job of updating their website. There are two destination charges at Lambert Estates Winery. So that's going to do me absolutely no good at all if they're locked up behind fences because the wineries in that neck of the wood don't open until 11am. Hopefully I'll have already set a new production class record by then. So I thought I'd do the right thing here and I rang Lambert Estates during the week and I got a lovely lady behind the desk she was very polite and i said look i need to find out more information about your tesla charges she goes oh i'll have to ask the winemaker about that so she did she asked the winemaker about it and he's like yeah yeah they're um he was sort of relaying messages to her i suppose he was busy um making wine <clears throat> so i uh he just said to her, yeah yeah no worries they're accessible from the road so they don't have gates apparently at the winery they're accessible from the road and I said, okay, how do I pay to use them? Because you're not going to be open at that time of day. He said, well, don't worry about it. Just come up, plug them in. They run 24-7. You know, just come up, plug in, and charge it. And so I said to the lady behind the desk, I said, look, um, don't you want some money for this? I'm going to use about $6 worth of electricity, I reckon. And I'll be charging there for an hour. This is a destination charger. It's a high-powered one, though. It's 17 kilowatt or something, so it's, it's pretty, it's pretty ballsy charger. So do you want some money? No, that's not necessary. Do you want me to come back while you're still open at the end of the day, once I've got my trophy or uh, on the back of a tow truck or whatever, and buy some wine? No, not necessary. Don't make a big deal of it. Just come and use the chargers. You're more than welcome. So I thought this is too good to be true. There's a winery. Come and use our electricity great so you know i'm i'm uh, doing 
the right thing in giving them a shout out to say, sound like bloody cool people. So you want to buy wines, www.lambertestate.com.au. Go support them. They support me. I'm going to buy some, some of their gear online when I get home because I like a bit of a savvy bee occasionally and go for it. But you never, ever trust anything in this world. So when I was up at the Barossa today and we're doing some absolutely batshit boring tour, I said to the gang, come on, it's such fun driving our cars. Let's drive out to Angerston to a nice place called Lambert Estate Wines. I just want to take a quick look at something. Ah, so you see, if you're going to hedge your whole motor racing day around being able to charge and make sure that you go and have a look at the charger first. Make sure it works even, make sure you can get to it, make sure there is no gates, make sure that there's not a bus parked in front of them, you know what I mean? I wanted to eyeball these chargers. Not a Dodge charger, a Tesla charger. So, we jumped into cars, it was another 15 miles or 10 miles, something like that, up the road from where we were. Jumped up there, lucky because I, I don't think I would have found them in the dark because I'm going to be up there early. You know, I'm going to be at scrutineering at 8 a.m. I'm going to want to charge for an hour. I'm probably going to be at Lambert Estate at 6.30 a.m. on a Sunday morning. There's not going to be a soul around. They don't open till 11. So I wanted to make sure in case it was dark, I could find these bloody chargers. First lap of the building, I see nothing. Scratching my head, maybe I missed something, maybe it's around the side, maybe it's out the back. Then Lisa goes, no, no, on the wall. But there was just something covering one of them and like a ladder leaning up against the other. And there they are, two beautiful destination chargers. So, and 17 kilowatt, let's just say, I should be able, that's what they're saying. That's what the website says. I should be able, and, well, that's what Lisa told me. Let's, yeah, there might be some inaccuracies there. It's what Lisa told me. Um... So yeah, I'll get up there at 6.30, I'll juice it hard for an hour. That should, at a reasonable clip, that should take me from 68 to 85. Or maybe, not, or maybe I'll get to 90, which is kind of where I like to sit most of the time anyway. Charging them fully is never a, a good idea. It's not good for the health of the batteries. Um, so yeah, if I get to 90, I should be able to get the thing home at, you know... 40, 50% and to work the next day with half a battery still. So it's just pre-plannedness. If it doesn't go to plan, if I get there and I find out the charges blow on a fuse inside or something and can't be switched on because I, you know, I couldn't verify they actually worked today. They assure me, they assured me on the phone they do. Doesn't look like I've been used for a while though. Um, so I must have a plan B because if I can't charge, I've got to then turn around and drive another 20, oh, 15 miles, no, not 15, about 8 to 10 miles back into Nuriutpa. Funny sounding name for a, you foreigners listening to us. We've got to go back to Nuri, and there's quite a few destination charges in Nuri, including a public charging station, I think. But those things just never have cables on them. And they always, you know, there's some weird Chatamo connectors or, you know, why doesn't the world just standardise on Tesla CCS? Well, Tesla slash CCS. Um, yeah, one day. At the moment, it's a, it's a real mess. But, you know, if there's one electric car, you can charge. If you can charge anywhere, it's going to be a bloody Tesla. They have the biggest charging infrastructure in the world. So should Lambert Estates not work the way I want it to work, or should it be switched off? 
I will then head back into Newry. I'll lose some time. Hence, I want to be very early at Lambert, so in case I've got to turn around. So I'll probably get there at about six. So if I've got to turn around and the charges do not work and drive back to Newry, I can then fully charge and make it to the track. Doesn't it sound like a lot of effort? Well, it is, but that's part of the fun, you see. That's part of the fun of owning an EV is going to all of this extra effort with your range anxiety. I mean, during the week, I don't give two shits about it, but I do want to race with a full tank. You see, racing with a full tank of electricity doesn't weigh the car down or slow it down. Speaking of uh, small full tanks, uh, I got some more sneak peek info on the Model S Plaid, which has been released in probably two weeks now. They'll probably make it midway through March. I'm still hanging for the Motor Trend article to come out so I can sell my uh, you know, tailpipe sniffing mates like Sam Cass in Victoria, crying crocodile tears, you know, every, you know, Ferrari pizza area or whatever other rubbish names they have for those things gets absolutely toasted by a bloody slot car, toaster, microwave, hairdryer. But the way they're doing it, I, it was really bothering me how they're getting 155 mile an hour claimed trap speed out of this thing when, you know, with 1,020 horsepower when the 768 horsepower version that exists now, the Model S, Raven, only traps about 122. I think, where's all this extra? It's only 300 horsepower more, and it's going to, you know, roll over at the top end like electric motors do. Where's all of this grunt coming from? Ah, then I looked into it further. Carbon-sleeved rotors they've been talking about on the internet, on their Facebook, their website when you order the car, and this ain't carbon-sleeved brake rotors, these are carbon sleeved rotors in the actual power units, the bit that does the work. And what the witchcraft in the carbon sleeving allows us to do, and oh, there goes a new 63, C63 coupe past us, going very, very slowly up to the corners. Smart man. Um, what the carbon sleeving allows them to do is retain, and this is Musk's claim, so who knows, retain peak horsepower from zero rpm to full rpm so rather than the curve nosing over at the top the thing is going to come up to a thousand plus horsepower and just sit there the whole way this is why when people are going ah tesla is stuff they need two gears they don't know what they're doing they're already cooking this thing up no they only need one gear why because they know how to make proper power units yes it's easy when you know how, allegedly. So there you go. Carbon sleeved, 155 mile an hour trap speed. It's just, you know, does it get any better than that? Well, I suppose it will. Next time, um, we're going to talk about some of the big issues that are facing my industry. Um, I'm not going to go into them now, but I'll introduce the topic for you. And I'm going to talk about it probably with Big Paul, he likes that kind of thing. Uh, it's a new legislation, or a new clean air bill or act um, introduced by the EPA in America, which essentially outlaws any company from modifying your car in any way. And if a company gets caught doing it, unless they have carb approval, which is a bit like winning the lotto, it's very, very difficult to do. And there are some big, big fines, criminal charges being handed out. So our industry, and it, don't think it's not going to come here, don't think that Australia's immune. I mean, we are like the dumbest 
backward shit country in the world when it comes to EVs. Thank you, federal and state governments. But when it comes to the Clean Air Act, I think we're going to adopt that a little bit quicker than you think. So stay tuned for more range anxiety next time. If you've got some feedback, send it to me to dtech, D-T-E-C-H, at senet.com.au. And thank you for listening.